Chasing Perfection, a podcast where we can no longer talk about basketball. We're only allowed to talk about injuries because on Thanksgiving Eve, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, UConn announced that AZ Fudd will miss the remainder of this season with a torn ACL in her right knee. The first hint that something was wrong came, well, we'll get into it, but the first real hint was that UConn announced just before tip-off last Thursday against Maryland that Fudd wouldn't play due to a knee injury, but they didn't have any specifics. Afterwards, Gino really didn't provide much info, just that it was too swollen to get any definitive tests on. We knew nothing was going to happen before they went to Minnesota because it was Paige's homecoming, and then it's finally announced today. Another season-ending injury for UConn, another major injury for FUD, and another another cycle of this madness that we've been going through for three years. Yeah, it's just unfortunate, and obviously most unfortunate for AZ FUD, who now, I think this is the third year that she's had injury struggles. She struggled with the knee last year what it was her freshman year but just really hasn't been able to stay healthy throughout her career at UConn so far it's not even her career at UConn we're rolling yeah. on like five straight years where she's had an injury so in 2019 she tore the ACL and MCL in that right knee during a three-on-three basketball tournament with USA basketball Yes. Then yeah. in twenty nineteen or in twenty 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 one, so her senior year, her height wasn't gonna play. Then they decided to play a shortened season and she got hurt in the first game because of a foot sprain and didn't play. Then she went to Yukon, she got hurt over the summer, a foot injury, missed eleven games. Last year she has those two knee injuries. Keep her out for a combined 22 games. Then this year, two games in the ACL. So through three seasons at UConn, she's played in 42 of 77 possible games. And obviously that number is only going to increase where in just seven games, she'll have played in half of the possible UConn games that she's been here for and by the end of the season it's going to be even less than half so if the program is cursed then I don't know how to even describe what AZ Fudd has dealt with for five years yeah agreed it's just a terrible break for her specifically and obviously for the team here too just continues to be ravaged by injuries and play I feel like it's basically just unbelievable at this point you're just like how is this possible that there's another one so az is the fifth player to miss all or most of a season over the last three years so it started with aubrey griffin who was out the entire 21 22 campaign first with leg ankle injuries then it turned into a back problem then she needed back surgery so it was not one clean problem the whole time there were even a few games where she warmed up and it never happened then Paige Becker's ACL and Ice Brady's dislocated patella last year and Jana El Alfie rupturing her Achilles this past summer and is now missing this year. And those are only the full season injuries, so it also doesn't include Paige Becker's first knee injury. Obviously, AZ Fudd's other injuries her freshman and sophomore year. Dorka Juhas breaking her wrist in the Elite Eight and her broken thumb last season. Was that last season? Yeah, that was last season. Myself. Yeah, that was last season. Caroline Ducharme's head injuries. Nika Mule's foot problem that kept her out a month but only forced her to miss three games because of COVID. I mean, Kristen Williams had, like, elbow surgery one year. I don't know if we're counting that. Liv had a groin issue that affected her most of her senior year. Dorka had, like, some foot stuff going on that kept her out her first year at UConn. I mean, there's Aaliyah Edwards last year hurt her ankle and would have missed a game if it didn't get canceled because they didn't have enough players. There are so many and 
it's not like these are happening like no disrespect to Enish, but these are all the major players that this is happening to the key players the core players and yeah it's just beyond belief at this point so i don't know i'm not a medical expert i i know a lot of people want to point the finger at the training staff or the medical staff or whatever but i am so out of my depth with anything medical that i truly have no idea what i will say though is we want to have around the pod at some point if we can ever have a normal episode <laughs> but alexa philippou friend of the show ran wrote a story on Paige becker's comeback and in it it was mentioned that previous knee injuries are the best indicator of a future acl tear and i think my own speculation without knowing anything would be that it seems kind of like that lined up previous knee injury and the ACL happens very similarly to how it happened with age. So yeah, I, whatever you want to make of that, it has just been nonstop. Yeah, exactly. I also think like the number of injuries and like UConn's, the rest of UConn staff obviously knows a lot more about the training staff and everything else and probably the medical stuff as well or is getting the expert opinions on the medical stuff like if that really was thought to be the cause something probably would have been done already so like i feel like just i know obviously people want to point fingers at something because it is pretty much unfathomable at this point but it feels unlikely that that's truly the issue yeah who wouldn't want to point fingers i'm sure gino wants to point fingers at someone yeah it's just the natural <laughs> reaction of human nature it's this one i will say this one surprises me far less than a lot of the other ones i don't know if i ever said it out loud probably because i didn't want it to be true but coming into this year even as we talked about az there was always this thought in the back of my head like she's probably going to be out at some point with an injury though how can we they really trust that she's going to be out there and i didn't think it was going to be an acl but i thought it would be different things here and there that kept her out and just made it hard for UConn to count on her. So like Paige's ACL, that came as a shock. Maybe it shouldn't mm -hmm. have, but it did. And, and, but then also like you look at it and look at some of these injuries, Dorka broke her wrist. Nothing's going to stop that from happening. Right. Then like Caroline's head injuries, there's no yeah, amount of training or anything that yeah. is going to prevent that so is it have the ligaments weakened because as gino said well or even go to page or not pages az's first knee injury is strength conditioning or anything going to prevent az's knee from bending inward on itself when Aaliyah gets pushed in or like every time i start to think man is there really something going on with the training staff i can also look at what's caused all of this and what's happened and some of these things you just can't blame on trainers there's normal injuries that happen in basketball and yet they're happening in the same span so i i wish i had a more definitive take if it was talk radio then i could just we would have talked for this and said all right i'm pro training staff you're anti-training staff let's scream about it but I really, I look at that and then I just say, I don't know. Is it really just terrible luck that keeps happening? Is it just having injury prone players? Is there some other explanation? And I just don't know because we're not inside the building. Yeah. We don't know what differences there may be in training. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's it's really hard to point to anything and, and have a reason for it. I mean, I think at this point it's just beyond reason. There's just... It is what it is, and it's, you know, hard to wrap your head around, but we're kind of here in this situation again. Yeah, before we get into the basketball impacts of this all, I want to go from a personal standpoint, just saying it's awful for AZ the kid, because she came with UConn with such high designs, and 25 games her freshman year, Lots of them marred by that foot injury. 
and then 17 games since then in a two-year span. So just on a personal level, it's especially AZ is a really good kid too. She's mm-hmm. always very nice and bubbly and happy. So that part sucks. But there is a basketball aspect to it, and I think we have to talk about it. And I don't know if silver lining is the right word or just the outlook is that this isn't exactly something UConn hasn't dealt with before. And it was a little different last year because you don't have Paige Beckers and you were really counting on AZ FUD. But I don't think this immediately sinks UConn's chances of going back to the Final Four or even being in national championship contention. The path got much harder and it may not be as easy as we previously thought, but it's still there largely because they have Paige Beckers, but they still have a really strong roster around Paige too. Yeah, exactly. I think so much of what we talked about going into this season was the depth of this backcourt and how many options they had. And obviously taking easy foot out of that, her said depth and she's up. One of the better options that you had, her three-point shooting in particular, was going to play a big part in what this team was going to do. But that said, like you still have Beige Records, you still have Nika Mule, you still have KK Arnold and Ashley Shade, who have both been playing really well. So the path gets harder for sure, but there's still a lot of talent in this backcourt, and this team still has a lot of potential. Yeah, and there's one person that I'm looking at that, all right, let's get things going. Caroline Ducharme is the number one person. We're going to talk about UConn's issues and their struggles to start the year. And I would argue that basically every single question mark that's currently facing this team, aside from, you know, the obvious ones, to the question marks to do with the front court, but... They can all be answered by Caroline Ducharme. They will not have the outside shooting that they were going to have this season with AZ FUD. That's already out the window. But who can help with that? Caroline Ducharme can. And what can Caroline Ducharme do really well? She could score a lot of points. And she can play a lot of different positions on offense. And she can be an offensive threat to take some of the pressure off of Paige. We just really have not seen that at all since the Dayton game. She's been largely invisible. I thought Gino had a very had a weird quote after the Maryland game where he said, when Caroline's not on, it's on him to figure out how to get her going. And he just couldn't figure out how to do that in the Maryland game. So he put her on the bench and that was more of a reflection of him than Caroline. But obviously there are the injury histories especially with the head but they need to figure out how to get caroline going and being that offensive force because there's a big hole for scoring in that backcourt i think nika's scoring's improved and she's at least capable of having a solid night when teams leave her open and kk can score and ashley and cadence have shown that they can contribute but in terms of just a steady number two next to page they don't really have another go-to scorer that they can look to besides Caroline. So it's it's on her to get it going, and it's on the staff to figure out how to do that. Yeah, great. I think she becomes a much more critical part in this team's success now that you don't have AZ FUD. And like you said, she's obviously been struggling. And, I mean, obviously that hurt the team in the NC State game, but it hasn't hurt the team that much because the freshmen have stepped up. You had Paige and AZ. You had Nika but now without AZ, you need her a lot more. Yeah, it's a really big hole that is there. And it's not all going to be on Caroline's shoulders, but she just has a skill set that fills a lot of the needs that they have. But this isn't going to be, all right, you lost 15 shots a game from AZ. You got to start splitting up these 15 shots between different players. No, you need to be better at offensive rebounding. That's where Aubrey Griffin comes in, who's had a also had a very inconsistent start to the year. Or maybe you rely less on shooting and become more of a drive-heavy team that can shoot just well enough to keep defenses off because we've seen how good KK Arnold is at getting to the basket. And obviously we know that Paige can do it and Caroline can do it certainly. 
And then you've got Aaliyah down there who's started to come around with that elbow jumper that started to fall for her. So you have a much more spread out, balanced offense. It's not like this is going to be an NBA team where every shot is either taken from the three-point line or from the paint. I think we're going to have to see a lot of that intermediate game with this team without AZ, and it'll just be figuring out how do we replace the impact that she can have in ways beyond shooting and points. Yeah, exactly. And there, like you said, there's a lot of ways you can do. You talked about offensive rebounds from um, Aubrey Griffin. I think it's also like Aaliyah's been like her numbers have been solid, but it feels like she's kind of struggled a little bit. If she can kind of get going a little bit more, especially with the rebounding and just closing out in the lane a little bit more, all these like little contributions that can change on both ends of the floor, just make it less points you need to make up without easy out there being able to shoot. Yeah, Aaliyah, it's been really weird because I almost feel like it comes in bursts. We saw it in the fourth Mm -hmm. quarter against NC State or bits and pieces against Maryland and Minnesota, but there hasn't just been one start-to-finish Aaliyah Edwards game. And I think the stat that kind of illustrates that the best is she leads the team with 28 rebounds, but second on the team is Aubrey Griffin, who has played 44 fewer minutes and just five rebounds behind Aaliyah Edwards is Paige Beckers, who is famously not a forward. So that, I think, is really the key for her because she's averaging 18 points a game while only having grabbed seven offensive rebounds this year. Maybe that's not the only way that she scores anymore because the way that it was her freshman year, but that's still a really key way to score and put in baskets and really just boost your numbers grab a rebound put it back we see Leah edwards do that all the time and once you mix that in with the really nice overall game that she's built for herself with those elbow jumpers her post moves the way she started to move without the ball this year i think has been noticeable without another big down there i think the lane might be a little more clear we see what she can do but it's that rebounding that isn't there and i think that's why we aren't feeling that impact from her yeah, exactly. I think the rebounding as a whole for this team has really struggled so far this year. And obviously it's November 22nd. There's plenty of time to figure that out, but she's a big piece of figuring that out and probably why it feels like she's struggling, even though like when you look at her numbers, like 18.7 rebounds a game, that's far from struggling numbers, but it's just, she can have a bigger impact than she's already having. And if they can get four solid quarters of basketball from Malia Edwards, every game that's going to take this team to the next level. And it's something we've seen, so there's no reason to believe that it can't happen either. And I think not to get ahead of ourselves and talk about UCLA, but like that's going to be really important against UCLA, which is a really strong rebounding team. It took us in 20 minutes for Megan to bring up UCLA. <laughs> haven't even this is like my Super Bowl. <laughs> it, it really is. This is what we're waiting for your entire life. Basically, <laughs> but another player that I look at that he could really use more out of is Aubrey Griffin, and I think the Maryland game is just a perfect example of what they need from her on a nightly basis. She only had nine points, but she was one of their best players on the floor because she had thirteen rebounds. She had four blocks. Feels like it was four is too few. She had two assists. She was just everywhere out there on the floor, even if she wasn't collecting numbers. But then just in NC State in Minnesota, it felt like she was a lot more invisible out there. So it seemed like we turned a corner with her being a lot more consistent and just giving you what you were going to get on a given night, and they need to get back to that. So maybe it's just a matter of trying to figure out what her usage needs to be with back and how she can feel comfortable and feel like she's getting the runtime that she needs to get into a flow or it's just a slow start and the whole team has started slow. I'm I'm not totally sure, but that's someone who I think can really transform what this team can do. And we when Aaliyah Edwards is on, or Aubrey Griffin is on, the Baylor game last year, Maryland, as I just referenced, those games where she takes over and has single-digit points or only has like 12 points, that's something that I think they're going to need to see a lot more out of her without AZ FUD. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think we talked about this in the preseason too, but just that changes like the questions for this team as well. Because when you look at that front court depth and Ice Brady has had some nice stretches, but like that hasn't fully come together yet. And I don't think that's fair to expect. Ayanna Patterson is still dealing with an injury, another injury that we like haven't really even talked about, but it was impacting this team. Um, Aubrey Griffin playing at that level kind of fills in a lot of those holes in the front court for now and gives the rest of this team time to catch up. Yeah, I do want to actually talk about ice because I was writing the preview before we recorded for UCLA and I just think her usage has been very telling about where she is at this point in the season and just in her recovery from the injury. Yes, it seems like she's fully healthy, but I think it's very obvious that whether it's a conscious decision from the staff or if it's just Gino's decision in individual games, they're very much treating her with kid gloves because she's averaging just over 11 points per or 11 minutes per game. Her career high was at Minnesota and that was still only 17 points. So it's clear they're not comfortable putting her out there for long stretches. And it's not as if they haven't been playing her with Aaliyah Edwards and they've just been switching off with Aaliyah and, you know, if Aaliyah is playing 25 minutes a game, then ice is limited to 15 minutes per game. Now it, it feels very intentional that they're limiting her usage. They're slowly ramping her up. And like you said, it started to come along. She was hitting those elbow jumpers, a three pointer, which is supposed to be her game against Minnesota. I think it's just a matter of feeling comfortable getting used to the college game. Cause she's still only four games in and getting a feel for everything while still knocking that rust off. Cause I think that rust was pretty obvious earlier in the year, especially against Dayton one for six, those shots just weren't falling. It wasn't like they were bad shots. It wasn't like they were far off. They just weren't going in. So I think with her, it's just going to be this long process and right now we are still in the early stages of that process. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think that's necessarily like a bad thing. You don't need to have your team be its best in November. Your team needs to be at its best in March. So there's plenty of time for her to figure it out. Um, but in the meantime, um, a player like Audrey Griffin can play a big role in kind of helping this team not suffer while that, that process is taking its time. Yeah, this team just, everything about it says it's going to take time to come together the way that maybe we expect. And it's not like we weren't warned. I think Gino said it a bunch that a lot of these players haven't played together, even though they've been here a while. Paige, I mean, with AZ now out, Paige has played with Aaliyah, Aubrey, Nika, and Caroline. That's it. That's half the rotation that Paige has played with before. So, obviously... Figuring out how to fit Paige into the mix is a very good problem to have, but the injuries the last few years, the the constant cycling of players because someone's hurt, the amount they're relying on four freshmen, that's just all going to take time to come together. So I'm very curious what it looks like against UCLA because even from NC State through now, I think we've seen progress in some pretty key areas or we've seen signs of progress. But there's still a long way to go. So how do they look against UCLA, a team that certainly has its own questions after nearly getting upset by Carla Berube's mm-hmm. Princeton team? Agreed, yeah. I think that's a consistent theme, I want to say, just like around the country, too. The top 25, the top 10, the top 5, like, everyone has, like, a lot of teams have lost a game, a lot of teams have struggled. The, the field's kind of wide open right now. I actually am glad you mentioned that because something at least I've said on the show a lot the last few years is it doesn't feel like anyone's that good. It's just (laughs) a lot of teams are bad. I almost feel like it's reversed this year where everyone looks kind of good and teams are winning games because they're going out and winning them, not just because it's whatever team makes the last mistake. It feels like the le- the floor has risen up a lot more and we're seeing just better teams and a better product out there, whether it's, I mean, the improvement that South Carolina, or not even improvement, just the way South Carolina's carried on or the 
huge rise that Colorado has been on or how impressive Stanford's been. USC with Juju Watkins and, well, I mean, NC State almost lost to, who was that, URI? So Mm -hmm. maybe we should mention them. But I just feel like there's a lot of good teams and maybe with the exception of South Carolina, no one's really come out of the gates hot. It's been a lot of ugly ugly games in terms of having to grind out wins that maybe you expected to be a little bit easier, kind of like UConn's at Minnesota. Yeah, I agree. Um, and South Carolina's come out hot and they're shooting the ball well, but like, I also like would caution that they've played Maryland, which like we all saw what UConn did to Maryland without having like their best night on offense. And then um, Notre Dame, which I thought looked pretty rough as well. So I'm interested, not that that South Carolina isn't good, they they certainly are, but I'm interested to see them play someone that isn't struggling to the extent that Maryland and Notre Dame are. Yeah, Maryland might be bad. They are bad. They barely beat Syracuse. Like, they just are not good. (laughs) Yeah, when your leading player, Cheyenne Sellers, who I thought just had the worst possible attitude that entire game in stores, that seemed pretty eye-opening to me. That's who you're counting yeah. on when it seems like she was not all... She was not in a good spot mentally for a lot of that game and just... I don't know. You know when you can just see it on a player's face? I felt like mm-hmm. we could really see it on Cheyenne Seller's face in that loss. Yeah, and I mean, somewhat for her, right? Like, she's probably trying to figure out how to take on this role to an extent. Like, she was the third option to... Diamond Miller and Abby Myers last year and now all of a sudden like she's dependent on to carry this entire team but yeah I, I just think it's going to be a rough year for them Would you have guessed that Maryland had the second longest streak in the top 25 beyond UConn before this week? I don't know that I would have guessed it but it's also not shocking because I feel like they're always just like okay right like they're always on the national radar but never really do anything. So like the fact that they would always be in the top 25 kind of feels right. Like they're not, they're never bad. They're just not great either. East coast Corey close with a title. <laughs> I just figured through the ups and downs of, I don't remember how long it was, maybe 10 years that they would have dropped out at some point just cause they do seem to hover towards the bottom of that top 25 a fair bit. But I'm just surprised that, well, like Notre Dame was horrible Muffet's last year and Mm -hmm. they must have predated South Carolina coming onto the scene to have that. I'd imagine South Carolina's number two and maybe Stanford. Stanford. Yeah, but they had some rough years between the Igwumakes and the title. So maybe they just dropped out at some point. Yeah, true. Baylor, once Mulkey left, probably couldn't sustain it. So, yeah, then you start going down the list. Like, Tennessee, obviously, had lost that streak. Mm -hmm. Louisville, Louisville, if I had to guess, probably would have been my second guess behind South Carolina. So, I just, I, I didn't expect it. I'm not that surprised, but it was just a little jarring when I saw it on the ESPN ticker. Yeah, I just looked it up. Because I'm curious. So yeah, South Carolina is now the second one. Um, 209 straight polls since dating back to 2013. Stanford is the is the third, dating back to 2018 with 105. And then it's all pretty fresh after that. Indiana, 78, dating back to 2020. But then... Notre Dame actually has the fifth longest one dating to 2022. So not much history there. Wow. That's interesting. I wonder how long it'll be until UConn falls out of the poll. Because even with Tennessee, didn't it happen under Kelly Harper? I don't think it was while Holly Warlick was still there. Yeah, I agree. I think they held on for a while. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be... At least after Gino leaves, and then we'll see from there. I don't know. <laughs> It'll be after Gino leaves, plus like 
assuming whoever replaces him isn't it. Mm-hmm. But even still, I think there's a there's a big gap between. I mean, we could talk about the next UConn coach consistently having a top fifteen team for what seven years, but only going to one or two Final Fours in there and getting fired because they're not winning national championships. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it'd have to be a little worse than that. But I think there's like a a range. We talk about the way that Tennessee fell off with South Carolina. Like, what if they're Notre Dame? They're mm-hmm. Yale Ivy so far, and I know they've had injuries and stuff, but just that constant top 25 team that's not really threatening a final four run yeah that's true it'll be interesting in theory, will leave the program in a spot than there yeah also another day a team that's having almost as much injury struggles as uconn right now sure they just need olivia miles to tear her acl again next year and when you said Toronto, well yeah and then add yeah like four more fair, fair. they might get okay that. yeah fair but no, like it... in terms of like miles being who knows if she's gonna come back and not much information on citron right now like if those two are out like that's that's really rough for them no they would be having the worst injury troubles in the country if yukon wasn't just at apocalyptic levels yep <laughs> I don't know how we got on this tangent, but... Me neither. (laughs) The Maryland game. I think the big difference in that one is against NC State, Paige was scoring a lot because she had to, and it was putting the team on her back because everything else was going right. Whereas Maryland, it felt like all her points were coming in the flow of... She was Mm -hmm. scoring not because she had to, but just because she could. And it felt so different because it wasn't all on her shoulders those were just the points that she was getting because that's the way the game was unfolding and i thought that was really key difference and part of what made that win really fun because everything was clicking and Paige was at the center of it all yeah exactly i think the ball was moving she was getting good looks and it, it felt natural whereas in that ncc game not that it looked forced because like she was still getting good baskets but like there were no other options where in the Maryland game you had Aaliyah got points, Aubrey got points, the freshman KK Arnold and Ashlyn Shade both had a really good game. So yes, Paige carried the team, but like others were contributing too and the office was flowing and it just, a lot of time the ball ended in Paige's hands. Yeah, that's, I think, blueprint for this team. If Paige is not the leading scorer, then I am terrified as to what has happened on this on this team. Well, I guess it could be Aaliyah, but just the way that things went against Maryland, Paige should have the ball in her hands the most. I think they're going to need her to take on a larger scoring role than maybe she would have with AZ out there. But there's a way that Paige can average over 20 points a game and not have it feel like it did her freshman year or against mm-hmm. NC State or at the start of her sophomore year. Yeah, I, I very much agree with that. I think the other thing we have to talk about for the Maryland game is the defense because it was a full 180 from what we saw against NC State. Outside of those like five minutes during the third quarter. Yeah. In the second quarter. <laughs> I don't one know of the cores, they just decided to see what it would look like if they played like they did at NC State again, and they realized maybe they should yeah. stop. Yeah. <laughs> I, think the, I think it was the second quarter because – they started slow then Paige got hit in the eye then she got the intentional foul and then she went scorched earth yeah (laughs) yeah don't piss off Paige Beckers it's just to be a a good lesson for all of the opponents (laughs) coming on on UConn's schedule (laughs) yeah she was getting gange but yeah I thought in general that the defense was fantastic against Maryland I feel like Nika in particular, deserved a shout out because I thought, especially in the first half, she just had Cheyenne Sellers and like how she, Cheyenne could not do anything against Nika Mule. Um, and I think that part of the attitude from Sellers was probably frustration with just like her inability to even like really get involved with the offense the way Nika was guarding her. I thought it was very impressive. And then the team as a whole, obviously, Aubrey, too, the four blocks, Paige had two blocks, like they were just an entire different level of intensity on the defensive end than we saw against NC State. What I really liked about the defense 
was even throw away the stats. I mean, they had a million steals, they had a million blocks, but I thought they were so disruptive even when they weren't getting the ball back. It felt like they knocked the knocked a pass out of bounds like 20 times in that game. Yeah. And even if it doesn't force a turnover, whoever made that pass is now thinking twice about, oh, can I get in there? Can I get inside? Can I get it here or there? Now they're having to think a lot more about where they're going with the ball. And I wonder how much that got in their heads. Because we've seen in the past, when UConn's defense starts playing disruptive like that and really getting after the other team, it can get in opponents' heads and then start throwing the ball away for no reason because the phantom pressure is getting to them. The best example of that is Aubrey Griffin's freshman year, that performance she had against Tennessee at the XL Center. Mm-hmm. But that's more than anything what I really liked because you can be a not great one-on-one defensive team and that might be the case with a lot of UConn's players but if you're being disruptive and you're causing turnovers that not only helps cover up a lot of your other problems it also gets your offense going Mm -hmm. and your offense can be just as good of a defense as your defense when let's say you have a four five six point lead the other team that scores if you write back and you score again, that's what, 45 seconds, a minute that's off the clock that is less time the other team has to make a comeback. So if they can keep up that disruptiveness and intensity, I think that's going to lead to really good things on both ends of the floor. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. And I thought we saw kind of what they can do with it against Maryland. And hopefully that's something we're going to continue seeing throughout the season and it's going to be important this weekend too when we get there like those disruptive plays are going to create easy looks that aren't necessarily going to come against a top opponent and also like you said just kind of get in the other team's head yeah i mean kk arnold specifically she gets a steal there's been multiple times this year where she's gotten a steal and then just zigzags up the court with the ball, spins five defenders around, and it leads to an open basket. So when you have someone like that out there who's got so much quickness and speed and can push the pace so much, that's going to lead to good things for you. So, yeah, as we talk about how do you replace AZ FUD, you replace her by getting out in a transition a lot more. Yep, exactly. A lot of easy baskets makes up for not having her three-point shooting. So then after Maryland, UConn goes to Minnesota and plays a far less entertaining game (laughs) at the barn in Paige Becker's homecoming. Outside of that third quarter, I thought it looked a lot like the NC State game on offense. A lot of stagnation, a lot of relying on Paige to go score, and a heavy reliance on a very good defensive performance and also just a very bad shooting day for Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, I think the positive there is that at least we can say a very good defensive performance, which is not something you could say against NC State. So it feels like that piece has come in a good direction. Mar Braun only had like 12 points. She didn't have 30-something like Sanaya Rivers. Granted, very different players, but still, you don't want her to go off. Um so that's positive. The stagnant offense is obviously not great, and poor shooting is not great, but like they're not going to fix everything in a week. So to me, I don't know. I don't like it was an ugly game. I don't know that I'm like that concerned about the performance, though, the way I was more about the NC State performance. The fact that they got the offense running for a quarter gives me hope going forward that it, they can start to figure it out. I just don't know why it looks so different on the road as compared to at home, because we have seen some fantastic ball movement from this team at home. And then on the road, it just isn't there. I don't know if they need to grease the wheels a little more because it just gets stuck or what it is, but that's something that's going to be really key this weekend is how do they look in it's not a road environment, but it's still away from Gamble. Or is it just these road environments? Because NC State was a really raucous environment. Obviously, it was quite a crowd at Minnesota. 
Is it, is it the crowds that are getting to them and kind of shakes them and gets them out of their game? Is it just being away from home? I'm very curious what that looks like against UCLA, but then also against Kansas, a team that I think, you know, probably Minnesota-ish level, right? That you should win, say, but it may not, might not be that easy. I would say better than Minnesota. I don't think that, like, Kansas is going to make the NCAA tournament. I wouldn't say that about Minnesota. Um, but, yeah, I think Minnesota, or Kansas is a team. It's not going to be easy. You should win. I think it's, we'll get to this when we get there, but like a good test for the French court, front court with its Kansas center is really good. Um, but yeah, it's, it almost feels like a present, like UCLA is much better than Maryland, but a similar like kind of stretch. And then it's like, or set of two games and then it's like this big opponent. And then someone that like you should be, but you still need to show up to do so. Yeah. And, Two games in two days is an easy task. It's something they'll have to deal with in the postseason, but that's also just its own unique challenge and the reverse of what you'd normally expect in these preseason tournaments. Normally they hold the top game for late in the, or the, the second game, but you're going to be playing number two in the first game. It's easy to get up for that one. Just as we saw last year against South Carolina, and then it's that second one, the Marquette slash Kansas using last year, that can you still get up for that game and bring that same energy intensity and not have it be a letdown? That's going to be something that will be worth watching. Agreed. And I like having UCLA as the first one as well. I feel like both of these teams, you know, they're top, considered to be top teams that are going to contend for a title this year. I'd rather watch them play not after having played the day before. Like, get that full strength energy for that matchup. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm weirdly curious to see what this gym looks like. Because <laughs> half the time these Caribbean games are played in a ballroom. And it's really dark outside the court. And it's just very weird vibes, low ceilings. But this one's supposed to be in an actual gymnasium. So okay. is it going to be like Mali-esque? <laughs> Maybe. I feel like it must be small and there's probably not going to be very many people there considering it was not an easy place to get to, but <laughs> no, it should be. It, I Googled it. It looks like a D3 court pretty much. Okay. That's like something. A... At least it's like an actual gym. Yeah. Like you got a small set of stands on one side and then a bunch of like the benches on the other side, which are just like folding chairs laid out. Maybe they'll be in a little nicer for this game, but. Yeah. Um, the sad part about this game is that it's on low hoops, of all things, for a top six matchup. That's like the best game of the weekend to be on. <laughs> Which means it's basically not even being streamed. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to have to probably mute the final one in Salt Hover's broadcasting, but I feel like 90% of time flow since people that don't know anything about women's basketball. So hopefully that's not the case, but I don't probably have to mute the broadcast because it will drive me insane when they mispronounce every single person's name. Yeah, that's like, gen like, I'm not a broadcaster. I generally try not to criticize, but the one job you do have is making sure that you get players' names correct. And it's 2023. These are the top two teams in the country. There are millions of places that you can figure out how to pronounce their names. You're just yeah, not putting exactly. the time in if you're mispronouncing names. Exactly. Well, hopefully I'll be wrong about the quality of the broadcast, but I don't have much faith. I mean, it's flow hoops. Hopefully we have a broadcast to uh, have to mute because half the time I feel like flow doesn't even get that going. Yeah, honestly, I would love if they sound like the Big East crew. I doubt they are going to, but because like Big East does use Flow Hoops for um their games, like I've seen like John Fanta or Kim Adams on the the broadcast there before. I don't think we're gonna get that. That's too ambitious, but that would be very nice. It's just killer that the Big East is on Flow. Yeah, I agree. I did not pay for it for the whole year, which is also pathetic, but whatever. <laughs> no, it's insanely expensive for just... Yeah. Like, they have no a la carte option, so 
you have to pay what is it 30 bucks to watch these two games yeah there's no so i know for anyone that nothing. bought it and wants to know what else to watch i just wrote an article for my newsletter about everything to watch this weekend so if you want to get the most out of your 35 dollars <laughs> go check that out which is where Oh yeah. Uh, go to if you follow me on Twitter at Megan Gower. Uh, it's the link's right in my bio, but it's viewed from the top on Substack. Go check that out because if you are planning to watch this game, these games, it'll be worth watching some other stuff. If not, Bob Joyce and Debbie Fisker are going to be down there doing the radio. You can listen to the radio broadcast roughly a hundred different ways online on an app. On an actual radio, I suppose it would be somewhere that you could listen to it too. So, plenty of ways to follow, even if you don't want to pay. But I think it's worth paying. It's not like they're playing to two slappies. Yeah, agreed. I think these should be two good games. You're getting two games, not just one for UConn. And UConn-UCLA should be a really, really good game. They had one really... Their last... Well, not the last trip to the Virgin Islands or to the Caribbean. Two years before that, they went down to the Virgin Islands. They played like St. John's one game. So it was before they rejoined the Big East. They played Ole Miss, St. John's, and Purdue. They won those games by 40, 10 in a game that was a lot closer than expected, and then 46. So these are much better games than what year was that? 2018-19. Yeah, yeah. I don't expect them to win either of these games by 40. If they do against Kansas, that's possible, but I I wouldn't expect it. Yeah, if they they beat Kansas by 40, I think we will feel very good about this weekend, regardless of what happens against UCLA, assuming it's a close game. Like, a, a close loss to UCLA right now wouldn't concern me at all. Yeah, if they play well, if the defense isn't an issue, if the offense is flowing and it's, what, like 75-70, then you can probably, Gino could probably go home and sleep well. Yeah. All right, we've reached the point. I will hand over the floor to you so that you can go in on UCLA. Yeah, I'm like very excited about this team this year. I'm always excited about UCLA, but in particular this year, I think, I mean, I've probably mentioned it at this podcast already, but like, this is a team that should be talking about the final four this year. Like that is, that should absolutely be the goal for this team. And I think they're going to test UConn in a lot of different ways um, that they haven't necessarily seen so far. I think like, yes, they got tested against NC State with the guards and UCLA has some really, really good guards and Krizna Osborne, who's back for her fifth year at UCLA, Kiki Rice, who's a sophomore, who was really strong for them in her freshman season. Um, and really the rest of that freshman class too, London Jones, uh, Gabriela, Gabriela Hawke is both really good players too in the backcourt. So they're going to see the athletic guards that they have to guard. Um, but then the front court, I feel like hasn't been really challenged yet that much for UConn. We haven't really seen like a great big. And Lauren Betts, the transfer, Stanford transfer, the UCLA has been really strong for them so far. I think she might even be leading the team in scoring right now. I should look that up while I'm sitting here talking. But she that kind of adjustment to UCLA seems to have gone really smoothly for her and honestly makes it baffling that we never really saw her for Stanford last year because yeah she's averaging almost 20 points a game over 10 rebounds a game for them through their first four games and it's going to be a big test for Aaliyah Edwards and the rest of this front court and then I think the biggest thing that stands out to me with this UCLA team and why UConn's probably gonna have some trouble with them is the rebounding they're been fantastic on the glass so far this season they've always been a good rebounding team and it's not just Lauren Betts it's I mean, Charisma Osborne is probably one of, if not the best rebounding guard in the country. She's very little, but she just has a knack for getting on the glass, savaging over seven rebounds a game. Um, so I think UCLA is going to come in on both ends of the floor and crash the glass. They're going to do it on the offensive end. They're going to do it on the defensive end. And 
if UConn can't keep up with that, they're going to struggle. But I think it's also a good opportunity for UConn to focus on that element of their game because it's something that's struggled so far. But it hasn't really cost them any. I mean, it, it cost them some against NC State, but I don't think that was the biggest problem against NC State. And it very well could be a big problem here. So I'm, I'm interested to see how they tackle that as well as, you know, the defense on the backcourt like we talked about. And just also facing a top, you know, five opponent. Like, this is by far the best team that they have played so far this season and could be the best team that they play for the rest of the season other than maybe South Carolina until we get to March. That's the good stuff. Yeah, they, they could really use Ayanna Patterson back for this game. Yeah. It sounds like she's getting close, but if the Ayanna Patterson that we saw at the start of her freshman year can show up in this game, then I think UConn is going to be have a much better chance at winning. If not, they're going to need a big day from Aaliyah and Aubrey. Probably a little Caroline. Ice is going to have to take a step forward and be a force on the glass. They're going to need a lot of things to 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 work for them if they're not going to have Ayana. Yeah, agreed. And I think just from an offense standpoint too, like UCLA in the past has struggled offensively. It's been a really balanced effort for them so far this year. I mean, I talked about Lauren Betts averaging almost 20 points a game, but you've got Charisma Osborne at 17 points a game, Hawkes at 17 points a game, Kiki Rice at like 12, but you know she's very much capable of scoring more than that. So there's just got a lot of offensive weapons too. London Jones, Angela Dodalik also in that category. So they're probably going to come out and have a lot of people that can score and UConn's going to need to do the same to keep up. Yeah. It should be fun. should be a lot more fun than Minnesota was. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think like we kind of said already, like – I don't like a five point win versus a five point loss in this game isn't gonna make me feel any differently about this team probably as long as they play well. But I think it should be a really good barometer of where they're at and a real just a really good matchup between two teams that are well, have hopes of being in Cleveland in April. Yeah, I think it's just about how it looks. If the offense flows, if the defense is disruptive and even if the defense just isn't leaving players wide open and failing to rotate and doing those things we saw against NC State, then whatever the result is is pretty easy to swallow. But if it's a five-point game because Paige Beckers has 39 points and they lose 85 to 80, then there's going to be need to be some conversations that, that are had. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's all about how it looks more than it's about what the final outcome is. On that note, that's going to do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Happy Thanksgiving. If you're American, we probably have non-American friends listening. But happy Thanksgiving if you're in the U.S. Enjoy the holiday weekend. Get some good Black Friday deals and fill up on Thursday. So... That'll do it from us. Thanks for listening.